So our reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 6, starting at verse 8 and going through to chapter 7, verses 2a, and then we'll skip a bit and keep going. So Acts, chapter 6, verses 8. Um, does anyone have a page number for that? 1699? Yeah, so 1699 in the Red Bibles. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these, changes are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he goes into a speech that I think Ben is covering, or Jack, sorry, is covering afterwards. So then we'll skip down to 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors, ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Thanks, Lily, for that. Uh, and welcome as well. Uh, it's good to see you. My name is Jack. Uh, um, and yeah, particularly if you're new or visiting, it's great to have you along with us uh, this morning. Uh, and particularly to be diving into this uh, issue of uh, anxiety. How do I escape uh, anxiety? Well, it was um, my third year of Bible college, my seventh year of tertiary education. It's a lot. Um, that assignments suddenly really got hard. Uh, I'd sit myself down, 
plenty of time to spare, and two hours later, I'll have got nothing done. I'd had lots of thoughts going around in my head, but I couldn't quite figure out the best way to start, and so I hadn't. And the next day, the same thing would happen. And it would happen day after day after day, each day bringing that due date closer, and so increasing the stress. And the closer I got, the more I would catastrophize as to what would be going on. I would think up all the worst-case scenarios for if I failed that assignment. And for me, it was all about people. All the people I would let down, all the people who would not respect me because I failed. And the more I thought about it, the more anxious I became. That mound became a hill, that hill became a mountain, and I still hadn't written anything down on my piece of paper. And this didn't just happen once, it started to become a pattern for me. Every assignment I faced suddenly became this wrestle with myself, all played out in my mind. For many of you here this morning, you'll have recognised intimately what was going on for me. I went to a psychologist uh, and was diagnosed with some mild anxiety. And this issue is a massive issue for us. It's one of the great challenges for us as our generation. Many of you here will experience anxiety or some other form of mental health problem. And if you don't suffer it yourself, you'll have people in your life who are suffering from this. And so it's a big issue. It's a big issue for our world, and it's one that we need to think hard about uh, and to talk about. Because what is going on? What is going on in our world that is causing this epidemic? Well, there are lots of theories out there about why it's happening, the impact of technology, social media, etc. But one of my favourite atheist thinkers is a guy called Alain de Baton. And I reckon he gets as close as anyone to putting his finger on the big problem. Listen to how de Baton, he's not a Christian, doesn't believe in God, listen to how he diagnoses the problem. The thing about modern society and why it causes us anxiety is that we have nothing at its centre that is non-human. We are the first society to be living in the world where we don't worship anything other than ourselves. And that's a very new situation. Let me read that out to you again. Just think about this for a moment. The thing about modern society and why it causes us anxiety is that we have nothing at its centre that is non-human, that is We've gotten rid of God. We are the first society to be living in the world where we don't worship anything other than ourselves. And that's a very new situation. That's an incredibly profound thing to say. Because de Baton is saying that the problem at its source that we are facing is fundamentally a theological problem. That is, it's about who you worship. It's about God or indeed the God that you don't worship. And I think this is key. Because there are lots of contributing factors to the problem of anxiety and mental health, and we don't ever want to reduce it down to just one thing, but I think there is a core problem, one that sits at the centre, one that is fundamental. That is that we have displaced God with ourselves. To put it another way, we have taken the sun out of the centre of the solar system and replaced it with ourselves. And that's what we're going to be exploring today. Specifically, 
having a look at the Christian message and seeing that the Christian message has something incredibly profound and important to say on this issue of anxiety. We can't escape anxiety, but the Christian worldview gives us resources and truths that enable us to cope and even overcome it. It's worth saying as well at this point, I just want to be clear uh, that um, this is a big problem and if this is something that you are suffering with or struggling with at the moment, uh, then please do make use of psychologists and other professionals uh, in this area that God has given us to help us with. Uh, In fact, what I'm going to be suggesting for the rest of the talk uh, isn't opposed to modern psychological theory. Actually, it resonates with uh, current psychological practices Uh, And I've chatted with several um, Christian psychologists about this as well. Uh, And particularly, it resonates really well with cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, So what I'm saying is completely in line (laughs) with those things. That's really important to say uh, up front. So please do make the most of these if this is uh, a problem for you right now. So as we get into this, let me pray. uh, And then we'll get into the story about Stephen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you do speak to us and that you have given us uh, the way to live now, that you have given us your son, Jesus, uh, who is the answer uh, to the problems that our world has. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we come to this, wherever we're at in our faith journey, whether we're exploring, whether we're doubting, um, whether we just need more refreshment and more comfort. Uh, I pray that you would help us all uh, to get what we need now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we look at this problem of anxiety, we're going to be looking at the story of Stephen, the first person in Christian history to die for their faith, the first person post the cross. Uh, And we're going to be working our way through that passage that we had read out earlier. So if you have your Bibles there, keep them open uh, to Acts uh, verse 8. Uh, And Acts verse 8, we get introduced to Stephen uh, himself. Verse 8 says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, This story here, it picks up just after Jesus' death. We've had his death, we've had his resurrection, and then we have his ascension. And it's the very, very early days of the Jesus movement. And here we have Stephen, one of the key leaders overflowing, it says, with power and grace. But more than that, he's performing wonders and signs. And these signs and wonders are supposed to confirm the truth of what Stephen is saying, that Jesus really has died and that he really did rise again. But then, as the early Jesus movement begins to grow, naturally, opposition arises as well. Because this was, as much as it is now, an incredible claim. And the implications of it are massive. If Jesus did rise again, then that changes everything. The establishment religious leaders of the day are threatened by this new movement, and so they make up false charges against Stephen. And they bring him before the Sanhedrin, which is basically just a court of law, the religious court of law. And they ask him to defend himself. So Stephen has the floor. This is the situation we're in. He has the chance to defend himself, to mount a case as to why his position is reasonable and as to why he shouldn't be executed. 
Just think about the pressure that's on him there for a moment. He's got to get up and basically give a 10-minute unprepared speech in front of a hostile audience who will potentially kill him if he gets the wrong answer. Talk about anxiety and juicy. And so the pressure here on Stephen is high. And so he begins to speak. And what he says is recorded to us in chapter 7. Now, it's quite a long speech, so we skipped over the bulk of it uh, in the reading, but I'm going to summarise that middle section for you now, and then we'll jump in at the end that was read out, at the climax of the speech. But basically, Stephen's speech, he starts the very beginning of Israel's history with Abraham, and then he moves his way through the major stories of the Old Testament. He talks about Joseph, he talks about Moses, he talks about Joshua, he talks about David, and he talks about Solomon. And in all of this, he's got one central point, and that is that Israel, God's chosen people, has always rejected God. Stephen is using the Israelites' own history to show that they have always been against God, And so it is no real surprise that when God came to earth and made himself known in Jesus, that they killed him as well. And so we pick it up right at the end. Chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen says, at the climax of the speech, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. That just means you still don't believe. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen, in his defense, he's not mounting a defense, but an attack. Stephen is saying, you and your ancestors disobeyed God's rules in the Old Testament, You have always had false beliefs. In fact, you killed the very prophets who spoke about God's word. So it's not a surprise, really, that you killed the Son of God. You see, Stephen here is not taking a backward step because Jesus means more to him than the approval of the Sanhedrin, of the religious leaders in Israel. Stephen does not take a backward step because the gospel is bigger and more important than any punishment they could think of even being stoned to death. And Stephen does not take a backward step because he knows that the resurrection of Jesus means that he does not need to fear death. All he needs to fear is God who is coming to judge. To be alive in Christ is more important than life on this earth. That those who are in Jesus do not need to worry about the judgment because we will be welcomed in with open arms. And so read with me from verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Stall. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees 
and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, which just means that he died. And that was the first time, but not the last time, that someone would die for Jesus. Bludgeoned to death by stoning by the religious leaders of the day. But here's the thing that always gets me with this story. (laughs) When we get to this story, as we see him go, he goes to his death completely unanxious, completely calm, proclaiming the gospel and even forgives the people who are killing him as he dies. That's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible that he's able to do that. And so the big question for us is how? How does he do that? Because the thing, again, that strikes you is just how unanxious Stephen is as he approaches death. So how does this work? What is the connection between what he believes about Jesus and the way that he acts? Well, I think it goes something like this. When we get anxious, it's mostly because we are believing something that is wrong. We have a false belief we are believing, and our anxiety comes out of that. We go back to my story. For me, it was all about having people's respect. When I got to those assignments, I would worry about what people would think about me if I would fail. And I would worry that people would look down on me, that they wouldn't think I was smart, they wouldn't ask my opinion, that I wouldn't be respected. I was worried in particular that I'd let down my parents. And so that would create all this pressure and all those anxiety systems would start to go crazy. It's the solar system again. We get anxious when we replace the sun with another planet. As de Baton, our atheist friend, said, our society is anxious because we have moved a belief in God out and put humans in the centre. If God is in the centre of the solar system, then the only person I'm worried about is God. And through Jesus, I know he has already done everything for me. But if I move my identity of God out of that place and replace it with a desire to impress my friends, not let my parents down, have people respect me, be the best dad to my kids, suddenly everything goes wrong. Because I can't have 100% security in those things. None of them have the gravitational pull, in a sense, to hold my life together. If you move the sun out of the middle of the solar system, the whole solar system collapses. And I wonder if that is what is going on with our society. And so that's the key for us all, is to work out what sits at the centre. And the Christian challenge is that if Jesus is who he says he is, then it really needs to be him. So if you want to stop anxiety, if you want to figure out what's at the centre, keep reminding yourself of those true truths. Because false beliefs are like oxygen to a fire. Take the oxygen away from a fire and the fire dies away. And so here's what I want us to see this morning. That it's the truths of the gospel that really help you deal with anxiety. That it's the truths of the gospel that really help us deal with anxiety. But how does this actually work? 
How does this actually work in practice? Well, let's go back to Stephen's story. Stephen is not facing an assignment or an exam. He's facing death. But he does so with the true beliefs of the gospel front and centre in his mind so he can face it with calmness and control. And this story tells us three truths that he is holding on to. It tells us what he is thinking in those last moments. And so these are the truths that Stephen holds on to as he approaches death. Number one, Jesus will come back as judge. Jesus will come back as judge. Verse 56, 56, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen sees Jesus standing next to God and calls him the Son of Man. Now, when Luke, who's the author of Acts, uses that title, it's usually talking about the fact that Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. So, G- so Stephen sorry, is basically saying, who should I fear? Should I fear those who can harm me and kill me in this life only? Or should I fear the creator and judge of this earth who controls my eternal destiny? Well, there's a guy called Ed Welch who's written a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. And I think this title, in a sense, sums up this false belief that we often believe, this false truth that we often believe. Most of the time, in our minds, people are massive. We worry about them. And God is just a tiny little afterthought. But actually, the opposite is true. It is God who is big and people who are small. And that's what we need to keep reminding ourselves of. If Jesus is judge, you don't need to care what other people think of you. We've been talking about Alain de Baton's take on what's going on, but what's really interesting is one of the solutions that he offers to the problem as an atheist. Listen to this quote from de Baton and how it echoes Stephen and this idea of God as a judge. I'm drawn, he says, to a lovely quote from St. Augustine in the City of God, who says, it's a sin to judge any man by his post. According to St. Augustine, it's only God who can really put everyone in their place. And he's going to do that on the day of judgment with angels and trumpets and skies opening. An insane idea if you're a secular atheist like me, but there's something very valuable in that idea. Again, it's a fascinating thing for an atheist to say, because de Baton essentially just borrows an idea from the Christian worldview. It's not clear to me how it works if you don't believe in God, but nonetheless, his solution is that God is judge and we're not. So let's stop running around judging each other. It's not our place, and our world would be a better place if this happened. I think this is true, but I hope that you can see that this solution is a lot stronger when you do actually believe in God. It's a little bit incoherent if you don't. But also, I think that we can go further than this. It's not just that we need to pull back from the whole judging others things. It's that even if that happens, if somebody judges you, it doesn't matter. The only person whose judgment matters is God which means that you don't need to impress your friends, your teachers, in order for them to like you. You don't need to try and earn their respect. 
You don't need to fear what people say about you, your co-workers, on social media. The only person you need to care about is Jesus because he sees everything and he will judge everything. And God is big. He is so much bigger than anyone else in your life. So number one, Jesus is coming back as judge. Stephen is thinking that as he approaches death. Number two, Jesus has already come back as saviour. Jesus has already come back as saviour. Verse 49, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You see, Stephen sees Jesus, but he doesn't fear him as a distant judge because he knows that in Jesus, he's already come back as saviour. Stephen knows that Jesus has already done on the cross, and he knows that because of the resurrection that he doesn't need to fear death or judgment. He has put his trust in Jesus so that when he dies, Jesus has made a way back to the Father, and he has destroyed the power of death. So how does this help us? Well, the problem with the God is judge solution is that now you have God kind of sitting up there in a weird kind of big brother situation, which is why you need point two. Because God isn't just sitting up there judging every little thing that we do. No, Jesus has reached into this world in love and redeemed us through his sacrificial death. Which means, again, that you don't need to prove yourself to anyone. You don't need to be perfect to be the best mother, to get the best marks at school or uni, to be getting that promotion after promotion at work. Jesus, the king and judge of the universe, loves you and cares for you, and that's what matters. And this God, he is never going to give you up. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to run around and desert you. Jesus died for you. You are never more secure than when you are in him. And so the final truth, number three, Jesus has come as saviour even for your enemies. Jesus has come as saviour even for your enemies. I mean, these were incredible words. I don't know if you heard this when we read it through earlier. Stephen's last words are these, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen asks for forgiveness for those who are about to kill him. How do you do that? Well, because Stephen has the gospel at the centre of his solar system. And the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners, every single one. And the people who are stoning Stephen are definitely sinners, but they are the very people that Jesus has come to save. And so Stephen has this incredible perspective. What is important is not his own comfort, not his own safety, not even his life. What is important is the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. How does this help us? Well, this truth helps us to shift the focus off ourselves. Because Jesus didn't come to make my life happy. He came to redeem people from the curse of sin and the reality of death. That is what's important. Because most of the time, we're not anxious about things that actually matter. We're anxious about little things about ourselves. In terms of the solar system, we get worried about Pluto when we should be worried about the sun. 
We don't need to be worried about the big things because Jesus has already solved all those problems. So what we can do is put it in perspective, take a deep breath, breath, and realise that it's not all about us. Because if God is at the centre of the universe, then you don't need to be anxious about anything. Focus on God, the big things, and you will stop stressing about those little things about yourself. And so Stephen has these three truths. Jesus will come back as judge. Jesus has already come back as saviour. Jesus has come as saviour even for your enemies. And Stephen, clinging to these three truths, having them front and centre, is able to face death incredibly calmly and incredibly unanxiously. Because he knows that he should fear God and not man. He knows that that judge is Jesus who is also his saviour. And he knows that Jesus has died to save the very people who are killing him. And so even in death, he is telling them about Jesus. And you know what? It's the same for us. We might not be in the same position as Stephen, but we do get anxious. We do lose perspective. And those truths that Stephen had are truths that we can rely on as well. Because if God is real and Jesus is the centre of the universe, then he will be the answer to our anxiety. He is the place that you will be able to find rest. He is the one whose true beliefs will will enable us to be able to cope with whatever the world throws at us. Of course, there's lots of other questions and nuances uh, to a question like this, but at the highest level, we need to wrestle with this idea of God, to get ourselves in perspective about who God is and what place he has in our lives. There's lots more, of course, to talk about, uh, and one of the reasons uh, we do this together as a group uh, is so that we can continue to talk about uh, these sort of issues over morning tea and into our week. Uh, So please do do that. Uh, This is, in a sense, the start of a conversation, not the end of it. Uh, So please uh, talk afterwards about this, but let me pray uh, as we finish up here. Father, we thank you that you are the judge of all things, uh, that you are the one who is in control of the situation and not us, that you are at the centre. But we thank you, Father, that you are not a distant judge or a distant God who simply looks on but instead has actually entered into the world, entered into our anxiety, into our suffering, and provided a way for us uh, to escape it. And Father, we thank you as well uh, for the gospel, that the gospel is for sinners, and that that is the most important thing that we can be on about, that you have actually not come for our happiness, for our satisfaction, but rather you have come to save people who are in desperate need. And we pray that this perspective as well would help us uh, as we go out into this week. And Father, I want to pray as well for all uh, who are struggling uh, with this. Uh, Lord, you know that it is not a simple fix, uh, but it is hard work. uh, But we do have the resources to be able to cope and to be able to overcome. Uh, And so I pray that you'll be bringing this comfort and this perspective uh, to all who are suffering and to all who are helping others uh, with this issue as well. And be with us as all of us think about uh, how this issue is impacting our society and our world at the moment. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.